Welcome to Know Your Risk Radio on 97.3 Cairo FM and AM 770 KTTH. Know Your Risk Radio is hosted by Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital. Whether it's preservation of capital or an aggressive growth strategy, every investor needs a clearly defined risk profile. Know Your Risk Radio is brought to you by Bulwark Capital, helping families navigate the ever-changing and often volatile markets. Know Your Risk Radio starts now. Here's your host, Zach Abraham. And we are back. Thank you so much for joining us for yet another of the most scintillating hours in finance radio. And I'm pumped to be here today. I mean, I always am. I think I say that every week. But uh, no, excited. I had a nice break over over the holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year to all you guys. Hopefully it treated you great. Um, we had a wonderful time with some friends of ours, uh, me and me and a, three of my uh, college roommates. Sometimes it's more of us. There were, there were more of us, but you know, every year the, the, the amounts, 10 of us lived in a house together in college. Um, and we were perfect gentlemen all the time. House was clean on <laughs> 10 football players living in one house in college. We had a blast and it actually was pretty clean. I think most of us were kind of clean freaks. I remember my wife would come over and she's like, I was always expecting it to be because we were, we were dating in college. She's like, oh, I was expected to be dirtier, but you guys do a pretty good job. So uh, anyway, a couple of, couple of me and my college roommates get all of our families together. So we had eight adults and 12 kids. Oldest kid was eighth grade. Youngest kid was one and a half. Um, that may sound like hell. It was crazy, but we had a great time. And, you know, just spending, you know, just it's just good to be around family and friends. The people that know you and still like you. <laughs> right? So um, so anyway, hoping everybody had a good one. Great. Well, I don't know if it's great. Uh, we're picking up right where we left off. Hope springs eternal, though. It is a new year as far as the markets and our economy are concerned. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, it's much the same um, right now. I mean, obviously, the, the we've started off a little weaker here. NASDAQ started off with five down days in a row. I don't think that that had happened for like a year, I want to say. Was it October 2022, I believe, was the last time NASDAQ had five down days in a row. Uh, it looks like it's going to break that streak today, but market is all over the place. Um, we do have, we're not just going to rehash last year. We already do have new economic data out that I think is very important to take a peek at. And it's just fascinating, guys. I, it's why we started doing that daily dots. And if you don't know, now you know, which is you know doing a 15 to 20 minute segment every single day to summarize all important financial and economic news that day. And one of the reasons we started doing this, we're going to continue to do it at least till the cycle's over. Maybe we'll keep doing it. I'm not sure. But what prompted us to do it really was the frustration of mainstream news economic reporting. And not that it's all bad. And there's consi- this is a consistent issue that I've increasingly become more aware of as I've gotten older. Maybe it's my, maybe it's my more perceptive to it. Um, but it, it's, it's, it's so one-sided, right? It's like, if we listen to this, if we turn on Jim Cramer, we're going to hear him say things like he did this morning. This economy is so strong, strongest economy in the world. It can't be beat. It goes somewhere like a zero hedge and the world is ending tomorrow, right? Well, what, what is the truth? As in most things. It lies somewhere in the middle. Um, And I would love to go. So the reason Jim Cramer was going on a beautiful economic diatribe is a, he's economically illiterate. Uh, And if you don't know that, I'm not taking a shot at the guy. It just, the guy's a stock jockey and that's what he knows. Um, You know, it's why in early 2008, he was sitting there saying everything was fine and by the banks. And that's what he said. He, he can he can disagree with it all he wants. Go out and you can find the YouTube clips. They're undeniable. Um, and I'm not saying this is 0809. I'm just saying the guy's economically illiterate. But but we're going to go through that economic report because I think what's missing is this economic report. The data that we've gotten so far this week is a perfect example of what we've been talking about. 
It's not great. It's just not. There's nothing great about it except the unemployment rate, which is getting worse, but not dramatically so. The flip side is there's nothing horrifically bad yet either, right? The truth really lies somewhere in the middle. And what's fascinating is you'll see one indicator where you're like, wow, that's smoking hot. You're like, boy, this, you remember coming into this year, and I and just for those of you that know, we kind of have a two interview special coming up today. I am going to have a segment with Chase Taylor, our head of research, our economic, our economic uh, propeller head. <laughs> I call him the brain trust. He and I are going to walk through the economic data because I really want everybody to have a good a good handle on it to understand what I mean, and also to be able to have a baseline. I just think it's helpful for everybody to really know what's going on in the economy without extrapolation, without conjecture. What, what, where, where are we, right? Because as asset managers, it's why it's strange to me, a guy like, I've never understood Jim Cramer's persona because it's always, oh, it's amazing. Well, it's either amazing or the sky's falling. And whenever he gets in those ranges, he's always wrong. I've just never understood that as it relates to asset managing, meaning I'm always trying to stay neutral, right? I'm always trying to stay in the middle and not get too buried in dogma because, you know, I I think that when you get carried away, that exposes you to big loss to either side, right? Either you're not being realistic about the risks or you're not being realistic about you're being too dour, right? You're being too grumpy. You're not being realistic enough about, and and the reason I'm like that is because I've I've been a victim of both. I've been too pessimistic at times. Uh, and I've been too optimistic at times. And what I've found is that um the more you can keep your emotions out of this, the better off you are, period. So it's just funny to see people that have been in the industry for very long times get carried up and swept away with emotion. Um, it's also very inaccurate. And I also think it misses, like I was saying, it misses the real story, which is exactly why we started doing daily dots. In the first place, what you're seeing happen in economic, you're just seeing things happen on a regular basis that have never occurred before. You're seeing things that are conflicting that you've never really seen conflict before. And, and, and we'll walk through that economic data, and I want you to know exactly what, what we mean. We're also going to talk about how, and I think, that, I think that we've been discussing this a lot. So if you're new to, new to the show, it's not going to be exactly a new take, or unless you're new to the show, it's not going to be a new take. But the increasing link between financial markets and the underlying economy, right? Because, you know, there used to be the old saying, the stock market isn't the economy. I think that is less true today than at any other time before. Um, and I think there's a lot of reasons for that. And Chase and I will try to get into that if we've got enough time um, talking about that link a, a, a little bit. But basically it's this, okay? You've got the biggest generation in the history of, of the country, up until the millennials, but the baby boomers, who are also the richest generation in, in the country, are retiring in mass at a decreasing number every single day. Once they retire, they are leading on their retirement assets for spending. Okay. When that asset pile goes up 15 to 20% in a year, that is going to have a positive feedback loop on the market. It's them getting a raise effectively. When that asset pile goes down 20 or 30% in a year, you're going to see decreased spending. Okay. The other thing that about this market is the passive thing, right? Record ETF flows, dominating market pricing. Um, but bottom line is the economy, especially the more debt that gets racked up. Remember, as you're piling on debt, right? The only way to th- keep things square is if asset prices are going up faster, Right, because it's really not so much. And think about it in our own personal lives. It really isn't the nominal level of debt, and this is where kind of the fear porn guys can come in, which is like consumer households are at a record level of debt. Yeah, they're a little bit above the previous record, but that previous record was set in two thousand seven when you were looking at an economy that was sixteen trillion in size. Now you're looking at an economy that's twenty four, twenty five trillion in size, right? So it's not so much the nominal number of debt that matters. Debt as a percentage to the entire size of economy, debt to GDP, debt to equity, right? It's, we we got to put it in context. Somebody could sit there and tell you, look, you're in financial trouble. You owe $70 million. And you're like, well, yeah, but I owe it on a building that's worth $1.2 billion, right? That, that's, that's, right? So my debt to equity is what, 4%, 3, you know, 3.8% or something like that? 
or no, in that case, with a 70 million, they'd be, you know, six and a half percent, something like that. So, so these things really matter, right? Context. And that's what I, I just think is missing out of so much of this economic data. It's either, are you a doom porner or are you an economic cheerleader? And I'm like, why well, manage money and risk? I'm neither. What I'm trying to figure out is what the truth is, right? What is actually going on? And at this moment, I think it's somewhere in the middle. And I was, I was alluding to earlier, as the economy gets more, is the economy gets more tied, right? Through that dynamic I was just explaining with baby boomers. And then remember, the other thing is, is that you have by far more retail involvement in this market than ever. As their account goes up 20, 25% a year, they're going to have a higher propensity to spend. So I just think you've got a lot of feedback loops going in. Now, what's interesting though, is there's a flip side to that coin which is consumer spending. And this is by far a consumer-driven economy. That means consumer spending is becoming more sensitive to market movements. Now, as long as the market's going up, that's not going to be a problem. But at some point it will, right? Feedback loops are feedback loops and they're always going to feed back on each other. And so understanding what's really going on in the underlying economy, I think is more important than ever, especially in conjuncture with you know, asset prices in general. And what we were expecting is as the stock market rallied, especially toward the last six months of the year, and interest rates pulled back, that is a significant loosening loosening of financial conditions. So as much as we have been in the camp of saying, listen, I don't think you can do the things we've done and not get a recession. And remember, recession is not depression. Traditionally, they happen every six and a half years. We haven't had a proper recession since 08, 09. Okay, so we're more than due. As a matter of fact, we've never gone longer without one. But as we've seen, I could have said that four years ago. Now, for those of you out there, we just had a recession. No, it wasn't a recession, guys. It just Technically speaking, okay, but it wasn't. Why? Wages don't go up. Household net worth doesn't go up. Bank lending does not go up. And excess savings does not rise rapidly in a recession. Okay, it was a recession as far as economic growth. But remember, the reason economic growth is important as an economic indicator is because usually economic growth is a direct feedback loop into the fiscal and financial health of the consumer. Okay, well, that purposefully didn't happen during COVID, right? So I I think it's silly to call that a recession. So when you put that in light, they're like, well, we had a recession last year or, or in 2022. Once again, unemployment didn't budge. Technically, you had lower GDP growth for two quarters. But again, I think that was more of a corresponding to stimulus stopping, right? And asset prices just pulling back. Kind of goes to my point, right? So you have a recession in 2022, technically, economically speaking, market was down that year, okay? Then you get market up, no recession in 2023. What really changed? The only real discernible change, rate of inflation came down some. What was the real difference? Unemployment rate didn't significantly change. Consumer incomes didn't significantly change. What did you have? Market down, market up. So I I don't think it's improper at all to say we haven't had a proper recession in it's a lot of use of the words proper in a single sentence, isn't it? Uh, but no, no, I, I just, I just, I, that's why I think it's silly to say that we've had a recession. You know, we just, we haven't. So we're unquestionably due for it, but that doesn't mean that one is imminent either. Now we're going to get into, I've got a, the next, was that the next segment? Yeah. First segment of the show after we finished the market update are, are, is entitled the irrefutable facts of Bidenomics. Again, First show of the year, I want to come out setting the table data-based, fact-based, so everybody knows where we're at. What is our starting point? Where are we currently at? And what are we looking at over the course of the year, right? So I think one of the points is to look at the economic data picture, right? And then listen to a preponderance of people on one side of the argument that are positive on the economy. They're usually the folks that are going to give you the Bidenomics speech. I don't think Kramer's going that direction, but the Bidenomics. What is Bidenomics? Let's, we're going to break that down. 
because it's, I mean, I'm, I'm sure most people listening to this know it's nonsense, but I, I want to break it down. Again, I was thinking over the break, what was one of the purposes of this show? And obviously it's a marketing piece, right? We want the show to, you know, bring people to us and, and garner more clients. But one of the original purposes of the show was to take complex financial stuff that gets botched on typical financial media and all that kind of stuff and break it down and to be a source, a, a place where people could go to get the unvarnished truth as best as we know it, right? The unvarnished interpretation of the data that came out, right? And you just don't get it. And this struck me, and I'm going to go off the rails a little bit here, but it struck me last night listening to Breaking Points on YouTube. And for those of you who don't know, Breaking Points is, to their credit, and I, I think they have a lot of good stuff on there, it's it's somebody more consistent, more, more traditionally on the right, a guy, uh, and then it, uh, what is I'm forgetting his um, uh, uh, Sagar Anjedi, I believe is his name. If I if I hope I didn't mispronounce that, and then Crystal Ball is the female. She used to be on MSNBC. She is more on the left, but both of them acknowledge the nonsensical idiocy that the mainstream media has become, and their whole thing is basing on just giving you the truth, and then. They'll offer op-eds and opinion pieces, but they tell you, right? They're like, okay, here's my opinion on this topic. And then they, you know, they'll give themselves for monologues, but it's just to refresh, you know, there's things both of them say that I don't necessarily agree with. Um, I typically, the, typically the guy on the right resonates with me more, but, but, you know, they can both make sense. Anyway, good place to go. But I was listening to them talk about the Palestinian Israeli conflict. And I got really frustrated because the girl, Crystal Ball, clearly comes from the angle of more of that Ivy League progressive Israel is an occupier. Um, I, but she's responsible and, you know, can absolutely, you know, came out with strong repudiation of what Hamas did. So, so she's definitely more on the left, but she's not, you know, she's doesn't think anti-Semitism isn't racism, right? To put it that way. She, she's to the right of the former head of Harvard, um, but they were talking about, it and she had on who appeared to me to be a professor of hers in college. She didn't announce him that way, but she let this guy just basically talk for like 30 minutes and he was coming at it from, he is a Jew and he studied the Palestinian people. He lived in Palestine for, uh, you know, six or seven summers in a row back in the late eighties, early nineties. And I listened to his point of view because I want to know both sides of it. But as I was going, as he was going, I got more and more frustrated. And the reason I got more and more frustrated is here is a PhD, an educated man. And he had some facts and specifics in his arguments. But really what his entire take was, was his perspective, right? Well, I lived with those people. I lived in Palestine. I lived with those people. And it just kind of struck me last night when I was sitting there. I think this is one of our biggest problems. At some point, and I think people have always battled with this, but I think it's especially true now with all the media personalities and online personalities and podcasters and all this, where we mistake fact or we mistake analysis with perspective. Meaning from his perspective, I take him at face value from his perspective. A lot of the things that were done by Israelis to the Palestinian people were deplorable. But here's the thing. I can go find you Palestinians living in Israel that have the exact same story regarding the awful things they've seen Palestinians do to Jews. Right? So, the minute we break down analysis of an incredibly complex topic like this into perspective based, it's, it's, we, we, we've gone off the rails, right? Because your perspective is only as good as somebody else's. Now you could sit there and say, I've got the facts, not when your facts start in 1900, right? Because if we don't even start by acknowledging that this conflict, and, and for those of you, this, I'm not going to turn this into a political show. I'm just using this as an example because it struck me last night. The minute your analysis goes to perspective, it, 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 it's no longer analysis. 
It's just not, right? Analysis is purely fact-based. And like I said, we the, this guy's whole thing starts at the turn of the 20th century, in, in the early 1900s. And you're going, buddy, these guys have been fighting over this plot of land for, for, for the last 2,500, 3,000 years. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? So we're, we're sitting there going, you know, it's like looking at a marriage that's got problems. They've been together for 30 years and you're focusing on the last six months, right? We're not talking about the affair that was had eight years ago. We're not talking about the domestic violence. This is all really depressing, but you get what I'm saying? Like, we're not talking about, you, you know, when, you know, we're not talking about all of these, all of these things that have culminated and anybody that's married knows that that's what your marriage is. You can have turnarounds, you can have breakthroughs, but it's a, it's a culmination of time. It's not a summary of the last six months. And, and you just increasingly, and I'm not sure if it's social media doing that and separating us in tribes, but you listen to these people and she's holding up. It was just interesting because she's smart. And she, she's sitting there holding this guy up as like the unrefuted source of truthful knowledge on this situation. And I'm listening to it and going, you can't see it, can you? You're just listening to a perspective. Right? And, and, and we're not really talking about all the facts. And if you're going to analyze this situation and the, the time period starts in 1900, I, I'm sorry, I'm out already. You've already lost me. Because this isn't easy. And when anybody sits up there, well, here's the way this goes. Shut up. I mean, come on, right? This conflict's been going. So anyway, it just kind of dawned on me. And I sat there and I was like, this is this is the issue. This is one of the big issues I think facing us today. Is And we've said this for a long time, right? There is no context. And, and I think what I was getting is at some point, like I said, it clicked last night. At some point, perspective became reality. And I do think it's interesting that that has developed in the environment of tell your truth. And you're like, well, that may be your truth, but that's not factually correct. Right. It's like, if I was sitting there, I, I, you know, I would sit there and look at the guy and go, Hey, I, I, I stipulate the fact that you know more about this topic than I do. What I won't stipulate is the fact that these problems started in 1900. That's ludicrous. That's ludicrous. Right? I mean, just – and then if you're not – you said, oh, the whole story is Jews pushing – how many places have been Jews been pushed out of? What about that? Do you see what I'm – so not discrediting what the guy said. And I think he made a lot of good points. But I think he made a lot of good points as it relates to that perspective. Where we get closer to the truth – is where we combine that with an opposing perspective. And now we have a better understanding of what the issue is. Right? It takes two to tango. And I know there are people out there that think, you know, that align with, am I more sympathetic to the Israelis? Of course. A, my last name's Abraham. I'm a Christian. I grew up with, you know, celebrating Passover. Sure, I'm more sympathetic. I've always been able to identify more to them. Right? But my analysis can't stop there. It's got to be complete. I've got to see what they do wrong because they do. Stick with us through the break. We'll be right back. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio (laughs) podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. This is Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham. Listen to Zach uncover the truth about the financial markets with simple and honest advice to help you plan for retirement. Get your free copy of Zach's new booklet, Common Sense Investing. Go to knowyourriskradio.com. How many times in recent memory has your financial advisor not reacted to current events and also not made a change in your investment portfolio? Now, think about all the volatile events during that time that have threatened your retirement. That's Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Todd, we talk about it all the time. Risk management. It's our number one focus. We actively manage every portfolio daily, looking for opportunities to lower risk, lower cost, and give you as much upside as possible. 
Let us show you how Bulwark's risk management strategy can protect that retirement you've worked so hard for. This is exactly why you need Zach and Bulwark Capital in your corner. You only get one retirement. Learn how Bulwark does it with their free common sense investing guide. Call 866-779-RISK or simply go to knowyourriskradio.com. That's 866-779-RISK or go to knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advisory services offered through Tech Financial LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. And we are back. Thank you so much for sticking with us through the break. And I'd be remiss. We added somebody new to the Know Your Risk Radio family. Texas. Dallas. Going to annoy another part of the world that I like. <laughs> Anyway, great to be with you guys in Texas. Hopefully, I don't annoy you too much. Um, but just, you know, just trying to deliver the truth as we see it. And, and, and we're proselytizing risk management. And the reason we're doing that is I look out at the world today, I think it's more screwed up than ever. I think it's more complex than ever. And I think a lot of us are staring down the barrel of risk, you know, or retirement. So when we look at all these risks, how do we attack it? Well, we got a little opportunity coming up. We got a free webinar on January 25th at 3.30 Pacific Standard Time. So that would be what, 5.30 Dallas time, 6.30 Eastern Standard Time. You guys know the drill. Um, And all you got to do is go to bulwarkcapitalmanagement.com, knowyourriskradio.com. Automatic prompts will set up. It'll sign you up for the podcast. It doesn't cost you anything. We're not going to, you know, compile your information and market you for the next two years. We started doing this during COVID and the response was so good. We've just kept doing it and do the webinars, go through about 40 to 45 minutes of data laying out what do we mean by risk management? How does it apply to you? How do we maximize growth in a portfolio? Not, well, not the way you maximize growth in a portfolio is levering it up 100% on stocks. Probably not a good idea for for a retirement portfolio. But how do we lower risk and lower cost in a portfolio while still offering that upside, right? Even better upside than the traditional 60-40 stock bond retirement portfolio, right? How do we do that? And, And why do we focus on risk management? Because we're extraordinarily passionate about the insanity that is retiring with the same portfolio you had leading into retirement, right? The portfolio you have leading into retirement was to, 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 to conservatively, but, but to maximize in a conservative way, your growth of your assets so they can finance your retirement. Well, the minute we turn them on, now the purpose of those assets is not growth. Growth is nice, but income and financing your lifestyle becomes the most important part, right? Growth takes a bit of, now growth is a part of that. It defends us against inflation. It does, but our whole point is what we need to do in retirement is we need to structure a portfolio that has the growth capability and the income capability to finance your retirement, but at the least amount of risk as possible. We want to take bad economic situations and turn them into opportunities. And what do I mean by that? Not get killed on the way down and be able to buy really good, valuable companies and assets at the bottom or close to it, right? That's the point. So that webinar coming up on January 25th at 3.30 Pacific Standard Time, we will walk you through that process as well as our outlook for the coming year and the ways that we think, you know, the that we think and hope that we can take advantage of them and also the risks we see as related to the election, the economy in general. How do we navigate this next year? And I'll tell you, I think it's a year that will be defined by risk management because I think it's like navigating a minefield. Now, I don't think any of those mines you hit are going to create a catastrophic market drop. And I know there are a lot of people out there saying that. I'm going to do you, have you do you a favor. Don't listen to them. I think this next year is going to be all about risk management, navigating through all the potential landmines. And like I said, I also, but I, but I do think there are a lot of opportunities out there too. I don't think this is a one-sided game. It's not a one-sided deal. So anyway, so anyway, or let me, January 25th, 3.30, go to bulwarkcapitalmanagement.com. It's free. We're not going to keep contacting you. If you like what we have to say, you can respond to us after it and say that you'd like to speak to me or one of our several advisors, and we'll walk you through in greater detail. 
But at no point, guys, if you're if you ever sitting there listening to us going, you know what? These guys sound interesting. I wouldn't mind seeing, but I don't want to sit there and have these guys hustling me. I don't want them calling me twice a week. I don't want to get on their list. I don't want to start receiving junk emails because they sold the list. You've got my word. We don't do any of that. And a matter of fact, it's not the way we do things. I'm not looking to strong arm people into becoming clients. I'm looking for partners. And here's the reason why. If you don't see the world similarly to us and you don't see the value of managing risk, if you're somebody that freaks out because you're up 5% in a year where the S&P is up 12 or 15, we're probably not going to get along well. Now, am I telling you you're going to be up 5% or 3% or whatever every single time? The more? No. But, you know, if, if we're flat or down 5% in one year and the S&P is down 25 and we're up 5% the next year and the S&P is up 20, do the math. We're still ahead. Okay, so what I'm saying is we're looking for people that understand that and and understand the idea of risk management. And, uh, you know, yeah, they want to grow their money, but they also understand that this is probably not the right environment or the right market to have growth being of their utmost concern, right? They're actually thinking about how they're going to finance the rest of their lives. So anyway, we walked through that. I went a little bit too much into that. But um, let's get into the, the, the to set off the, right, to, to stick with our, deal here, our motif, if you will, of setting the table for the year. Now we've talked about this, but again, I I think it bears repeating just because it makes me chuckle every time. The irrefutable fact, the irrefutable facts of Bidenomics. Okay. I want to go through this. So there are, so for those of you out there on the more negative side, there are real positive traditional economic signs about this current economy. Unemployment would be one of them. We're at 3.7% unemployment. That's right at a 65-year low, okay? Consumer spending continues to grow, slowing, slowing significantly, but continues to grow. So that's a positive. But what you need to step back and look at it, when we're analyzing Bidenomics or if the topic, topic comes up at a cocktail party, or to a family get together, whatever, right? You get in one of these debates. I want you to be armed with the facts. Why? Because I hate the idea of people listening to this radio show losing really easy debates just be, you know just because they're 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 paying attention to the things in their life that actually impact them, like raising fan. You know what I mean? I I just like the idea of people listening to the show calling somebody out and going, "Hey, Bidenomics is totally nonsense." And what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is that there's nothing to it. Okay. You've boiled down an economic policy. First of all, it doesn't even exist because there's nothing he's done except run record deficits. That's just a fact. And printed excess money on top of that to pay off, you know, for bailouts. SVB, now they'd be like, you didn't print that, but the Fed printed it. What, whatever, okay? The SVB bailout fund, the, uh, well, the, which was the BTFB, right? The, the bank total, what was it? Bank total or treasury funding plan or whatever, where they allowed the banks to effectively swap their bonds out for, for par value. Cause they'd been hit so bad by rising interest rates, forgiveness of student loans, record deficits in peacetime or in an expansion, right? If you want to boil down what Bidenomics are now, to be fair, there are people out there in the economic world, like Stephanie Kelton, who would tell you that this is good economic policy. This is exactly what you should be doing. I would beg to differ with them because when you are spending more than you have and you're relying on that spending, right? Oh, the economy. So the only source of strength in the economy right now is $2.1 trillion deficits. That's it. Now there's some residual strength, but what you see that really, I mean, you look at multifamily housing, which we'll get into chase. That's a part of strength. That's a, that's a train wreck waiting to happen. They're overbuilding it. And we'll show you that that data. Does that mean I'm calling for a massive multi? No, I'm just saying it's 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 not a strength right now because it is not responding to economic strength. It's it, it's it's in our opinion, it's a short term blip that's really close to coming to an end. That is more a reflex of COVID and everybody moving around and record high rent costs and interest rates going through the roof. You know, it's like that whole deal. And I'm going to, you know, I'll, I'm going to tick people off when I say this, you know, another myth in this economy, housing shorting. There isn't one. There's a, there's a shortage of housing for sale, right? Why is that? 
because houses were turned into a bond replacement strategy over the last 15 years. You have more two-home ownership than any other time in the history of the United States. You've got more houses owned by corporate entities than any other time in the United States. And that's important, guys. Why is that important? Because it doesn't really matter who owns the houses, right? It's that all these houses exist and somebody owns them. What does that mean? A house isn't like a, you know, it's not like a song. You have to have somebody choose that house to live in it to make it be a viable investment or it's not, right? It's not a, it's not a, it's not a patch of timber that grows trees back every 40 years that you can harvest off, right? It's, it's not a self reju- re, you know, regenerating thing. It needs to have maintenance done on it. It needs to be maintained. There's cost. You got to pay property taxes and you got to find a renter. So as the number of homes go, I don't care how many there are. I don't care how big the economy is. As the number of homes grow in relationship to the population, the pressures on rent and usually rent goes down. And that creates problems because as rent goes down, then at some point it becomes a race to a bottom because you got to pay property taxes. So then people start saying, hey, this may not completely cover my nut, but I can rent it out for this and at least I can pay my note. I've still got to come up with property taxes on this baby, but at least I can pay my note. And then eventually it turns in, well, I can't pay my note, but at least I can pay the property taxes. Just the way things work. So if you continue at this pace in multifamily and even single family homes, you're going to have a housing bust. Now, I don't think they're going to let that happen, meaning, you know, I don't think it's going to be 0809 again because they'll step in too soon. But these are all these misnomers that I'm talking about. And so when they point to these areas of strength, it's not that they're lying, but they're not putting it in context. So we'll go into that. We'll go into that further when Chase is on. But when you hear Bidenomics come up and, and here, let me put this into perspective. So, and, and again, I've said this before, but I want, I want people to, I want to refresh them. And I also, you know, really want to set this out there for the, for the new folks, especially in Texas that are listening to us. So think back to 0809. Okay. 0809 was the worst recession since the great depression. And the economy contracted about 3.8% from top to bottom, which equated to trimming about 600, $650 billion off of the economy at that time in the United States. Okay, we're running $2.1 trillion deficits. So our deficits are at, at the moment are almost 4X that of the contraction in 0809. So just think if you balance the budget in this environment, you just suck to, you'd have the worst recession on record. You'd probably be looking at eight, you'd probably, and it'd probably be on par with the Great Depression. Now, they're not going to do that at any time soon. But when you hear Bidenomics going on, it's simply a function of, it's deficit spending. That's all it is. And when that stops, Katie bar the door. And at some point it will. This year, probably not. Next year, probably not. But that's the scary nature of the game we're playing is that it extends as long as you can continue to print without any crimps, without any restrictions, you can continue on this. The problem is, is that nothing goes right. You don't, you can't, trees don't grow to the sky. So literally every year it doesn't break down the, the eventual breakdown gets worse and worse. And more, more importantly and more scary to, I think, the average investor or consumer should be that usually those breakdowns don't have warnings, which is why we need risk management, which is why a risk management portfolio should be pretty attractive for you. So the idea that we can drastically lower risk, lower cost while increasing upside, that should perk up your ears. Give us a call, 866-779-RISK. Again, 866-779-RISK. Go to the radio show website, knowyourriskradio.com or capitalmanagement.com. You guys know the drill. Stick with us through the break. We'll be right back. This is the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. Do better in bull markets. Do better in bear markets. Pay less fees in all markets. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. You can subscribe to Zach's free newsletter, The Bulwark Insider Report, at knowyourriskradio.com. How many times in recent memory has your financial advisor not reacted to current events and also not made a change in your investment portfolio? Now, think about all the volatile events during that time that have threatened your retirement. That's Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Todd, we talk about it all the time, risk management. It's our number one focus. We actively manage every portfolio daily, looking for opportunities to lower risk, lower cost, and give you as much upside as possible. 
Let us show you how Bulwark's risk management strategy can protect that retirement you've worked so hard for. This is exactly why you need Zach and Bulwark Capital in your corner. You only get one retirement. Learn how Bulwark does it with their free common sense investing guide. Call 866-779-RISK or simply go to knowyourriskradio.com. That's 866-779-RISK or go to knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advisory services offer through Tech Financial LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. And we are back. Thank you so much for joining us. Okay, so wanted to get, again, remember the motif of this show is we're setting the stage for this upcoming year, 2024. And we're going to have another interview. This is going to, I've just got my head of research on, Chase Taylor with us. For a segment, but I got another interview with my good buddy, Dimitri Kafinas that is coming out later today, or actually most of you will be listening to this on Saturday, comes out Friday. You can get on our podcast and he, our talk is going to be kind of a summary of the year we just had, uh, and then looking out into 2024, but for, you know, Dimitri's more of a commentator. Chase is our head of research. So I wanted to have him on for an episode or for a segment, excuse me, rather to discuss what we see going on in the economy because um, at the very least, I think it's fascinating chase. And what I was talking to the people, it kind of goes into the conversation we were just having about, and I, and I queued it up with the folks earlier in the show uh, using the Palestinian Israeli conflict as an example, right? I'm not interested in here. Well, I mean, I think perspective matters, but I just think we get all too, we all too often confuse factual factually based analysis with perspective and those are two very different things yeah 100 right um as much as we like anecdotes they're not facts right we we got to keep those things separate and and i was thinking about it and i think one of the reasons it irritated me is because i see the exact same thing going on with the economy on both sides right on one side you've got jim kramer like literally doing he there was a clip like probably 2012 2013 I remember when CNBC out on Marcus Andy and he was like talking up the economy, how great it was. And it was like, he literally started dancing. Like he was so jubilant. He started <laughs> now you and I both know who that guy is. He's not, I think he's a tool, but uh, <clears throat> that was kind of what Kramer was doing this morning. Right. Like, Oh, the economy is just so strong. Then you flip over to the other side, you go read zero hedge and the whole world's about ready to end. Always within the next two weeks. Right <laughs> now, Furthermore, I want to go on and say that I think that you can get valuable pieces of information from both sources. I agree. I think you, I think you can get valuable information from anywhere. It's just the filter you put it through. That exactly. Matters. Exactly. So when we're looking at this economy to set the stage, for those of you who don't know, this is why we started doing the daily dots because we think this is one of the most, and it is, it, it's one of the most unique economic setups of all time. So if you're an economic nerd, I think it's just really great TV, A, but B, you know, it kind of has a big impact on things. And now all this is coming to the head in an election year with record deficits and all the things we see. It's just an incredibly mixed bag. And we believe, based on what we're seeing and historical norms and all that kind of stuff, that the economy is headed into recession. But as financial conditions eased, rates came down, and I think most importantly, the stock market went up toward the end of the year, we were expecting that data to probably look pretty good for the first quarter of the year, at least on yeah. a comparable basis, right? And why? This goes back into the diatribe I was doing earlier on the show that I think you'd be proud of, Chase, <laughs> where I just went off for about five to seven minutes talking about how I, we we and I believe that the economy and the stock market are linked like they never have been, it, it, meaning that I truly believe the stock market going up 10 to 15% will improve economic data. Right, the the way the way things work at this point. So, when we're now, let's kind of start with that. We we've received, I think, some interesting data this week, and I think the most interesting stuff was the data that we received today. But let's kind of summarize because we're still not quite seeing the pop that we were expecting. Not yet. Again, it's first week of the year, um, so you got to be patient. But let, let, let's go through that. What have we seen this week, and what what stands out to you on the economic data side? Yeah, so I'll mostly focus on today, and we've talked about the prior data on the Daily Dots if people want to go find the podcast and listen to that, but um, 
today was the jobs report. So the government's report to tell us exactly what's going on in the jobs market. That was, like you said, very interesting. Um, this is a very rare occasion where the headline data, so everyone will focus on like one number especially, but like call it three or four numbers within that report. Even though that report is chock full of information, your average economist or trader or whatever, you know, uh, person in the media is going to really hone in on three or four of these things, uh, data points from it. And then, so, you know, what I'll do is I'll look at all of it because I want to, I really want that context. And usually sometimes it'll be a strong report and there'll be like weak underlying data or a weak report, but then you look under the hood and you're like, yeah, but you know, some of this stuff's really strong. Typically markets only care about that headline part of it. Today might actually be a case where the headline was incredibly strong. And then you look under the hood and there's a lot of kind of, you know, unnerving weakness. And the market actually seemed to take the, the time maybe at least to look at some of the under the hood data and realize it wasn't as strong as it looked, but I'll, I'll kind of run through real quick um, what made this report super interesting. First of all, the headline numbers, the ones that people will focus on were, were you, something you would definitely consider to be hot um, and, and, you know, really jiving with what we think would come in, in Q1 because, you know, we added $7 trillion in net worth in Q4. Um, so the just pure number of jobs was better than expectations. So was the unemployment rate. So were wages. Um, but then we go and look under the hood and first of all, hours were ticked down a little bit. That's, that's obviously not great. Um, const- one, one thing that I will say is very, very good. And, and to me, at least the most important thing now was that we added construction jobs. That's super important. We've covered that on, on the daily dots a million times. So I won't beat that dead horse. Um, wages were up which is very important. And even on a three month average, they're up. So kind of interesting. All my leading indicators suggest they should go down um, as the year goes on. But for now, they're kind of perking up. Um, The household survey, which there's two different surveys. There's a household one and an establishment one. The household survey was brutal, like down a lot. So that's one noteworthy thing that's, you know, hey, it wasn't great. would you, when we look at that data, so based on the way I've looked at it, I've not looked at it nearly as extensively as you have. I almost see that as almost like an extension of consumer sentiment. Is that fair? I would not say that. So what is the household survey measuring? It's, it's instead of asking businesses, you ask households about employment um, and it and it measures things differently. So if you have two jobs, the establishment survey kind of treats it like you, you have, you just kind of um, have two jobs whereas household is like one. So if you're, if you're getting multiple jobs, it's treated differently. Um, and that could be a big part of the reason for the discrepancy between household and, and establishment. But I will say household survey for whatever reason is like super noisy. It was up huge last month, down huge this month. So it's difficult to pin it down on a one month basis. But we do know since April, half of the jobs created are second jobs for people. Um, second jobs as a percentage of jobs is um, has been kind of on a rocket ship of late, which, you know, if you kind of just think about this on a just super, you know, critical thinking, just basic level, people having to get second jobs probably does, is not a great sign for the economy. Well, they'd also, I would also, they're also going to be much more transient, I, w- I would think, type jobs, meaning sure. one of the first things you see in job reductions is temporary jobs going out the window, right? And And along that same line, full-time jobs had one of the worst prints in history today. And part-time, so part-time jobs were up a bunch and then full-time jobs were down a shocking amount. Like, so that, that, that's obviously really interesting. Uh, temporary jobs, which tend to be a leading indicator of the broader market, because that's the people that get fired first. Um, those were down again. Those have been down a lot lately. That's not new. Um, per- permanent job losers up people that are unemployed for economic reasons up. So like there was just tons of stuff under the hood that showed weakness, despite the fact that the headline, uh, numbers showed uh, a lot of strength. So it was it was an interesting day from that standpoint. And then we also got the services ISM um, uh, purchasing managers index and the employment uh, component of that index just went into free fall uh, down to 43, which is um, it's a diffusion index. So below 50 is contraction. So 43 is a pretty nasty number for that. That was but at the same time, we know we're, we're, we're watching continuing jobless claims and initial jobless claims that just Thursday printed secular lows. I mean, barely over 200,000 initial jobs claims is shockingly low. It's telling you almost nobody's losing their job. 
So you have this weird thing where it's like all of a sudden no one's getting hired. But that's getting- a but that's also a net number, right? So like, it, could, couldn't the temporary job hirings be? So like, couldn't it could? I would think it would work. It could work both ways, right? Like, so if you had really high temporary job hiring, that could make it look better. If you had really low temporary job, we'll make jobless claims look look better because oh. jobless claims are literally people saying right. saying, "Hey, I, I need unemployment benefits because right. I lost my job." Right. Right. Um, so it's just weird. It's, it's it's like the quality of of employment is is really going down. Hiring is going down. People having to go from full time to part time or get a second job. So it's like deteriorating under the surface. But then you know the aggregate macro data is still fine. Like there's still very low jobless claims. The unemployment rate's still three point seven percent. So like it, it makes it tough because under the surface getting ugly. Above the surface, it, it still you know looks great. And I think that's kind of a summary of the entire economy, yeah. right? I mean, just for every – it's why I look at the people that are out there saying the, the sky's about ready to fall. I look at them and go, hold on. What about this data point? Yeah. I look at the Jim Cramers and I'm like, how do you get that – how do you get that whole economic you know, high five over this printout? It's because you're not, you're not looking at the detail right. at all, right? And the, and the devil is in the details. He always is. Yeah. Um, anything else – we wrap up here really quick. What, anything else that you thought was really significant that we need to hit on? Not, not really from this week. I think that 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 was the most important takeaway this week, um, is from, from a data perspective. And I, I do still expect data to kind of keep perking up because of what has happened with financial conditions. It tends to have a two two month lag roughly, and December was a big part of that. So you would think some of this juice isn't going to happen until February. It'll be interesting to see how what that. It'll be interesting to see what what the data is looking like a month and a half. From and, now. and as we've said before, like, hey, if the data doesn't perk up after you, that's trouble. Added a you know seven trillion in net worth, and you have a problem. And yeah. and and it's not time to be betting on a on a soft landing anymore. Well, there you have it, folks. We got to cut it off there due to time. Thank you so much for listening. Hope that gets you. And and also we got the interview coming out, so you're not going to want to miss that. I'm getting it's coming out. It's probably out there already. With me and Dimitri going to do a wrap up of last year, this year. Anyway, we'll see you next week. Have a wonderful weekend. You're listening to, the, oh, and as always, guys, risk management. If you see these problems coming, give us a call 866 779 risk. Again, 866 779 risk. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. Perfect. Thanks for listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital. Whether it's preservation of capital or an aggressive growth strategy, every investor needs a clearly defined risk profile. Schedule your free risk review with Zach Abraham now at knowyourriskradio.com. Zach will be back with more Know Your Risk Radio next Saturday at noon on 97.3 Cairo FM and AM 770 KTTH. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor.